step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. In this multidimensional world, much of which is invisible to the eye, a group of non-physical entities have come here to expand our knowledge of how the universe works. These non-physical teachers are called Joshua, and they convey their teachings through Gary Temple Bodley. Each week, Gary, with a selection of Law of Attraction experts, open up a roundtable of thought-provoking discussions surrounding the teachings of Joshua. Joshua's intention is to bring clarity to the listeners through the ever-expanding Law of Attraction by looking at reality from a new perspective. Welcome to the teachings of Joshua Roundtable. Hello, everyone. This is Episode 8 of the Teachings of Joshua Roundtable. I'm your host, Gary Temple Bodley. This episode is all about fear. Is fear a good thing or a bad thing? What's the difference between rational fear and irrational fear? Is fear limiting? Today we discuss the ramifications of fear and how to deal with it. The quote of the week is about fear, and so is our question of the week. This one comes from Matt, who worries about what people are thinking of him. So are you all ready to release a little fear? On the round table today, we have Steve Finitza. Hi, Steve. Hey, Gary. Janine Kurikovic. Hi, Janine. Hi. Hi, Gary. And Michael Kutzen. Hi, Michael. How are you doing, Gary? Great. How's everyone doing? I'm so glad you're here with us today. So um, glad to be with you. Absolutely. And you all had a good Thanksgiving? Absolutely. Yep. Was, really, really good. Yeah. Was there, was there any fear involved in Thanksgiving? <laughs> Luckily, we this year they're, they're, not for us. There was abundant blessings and uh, and an array of of too much food, which we had a juice yesterday to get over the food hangover. But everything else is good. You juiced the turkey? No, no, no. I just did. I did green oh, juice. Okay. I, I got out the NutriBullet. <laughs> I made a goose, and that was a lot of fear. And so, to overcome my fear, I had a backup plan, which was beef bourguignon. So thank God I made that because the goose was disgusting. But oh, next year I'll give out. you my address for the invitation. Okay, absolutely. Actually, I want to come to your house because I saw what Tim made. <laughs> so that looks good. Okay, well today is all about fear, um, and this comes from Chapter Nine of A Radical Change. This is Joshua's third book, but actually it's been released in second position right after uh, Perception of Reality because once. This book was done. I was so excited about it that I just wanted to get this one out there as soon as possible. Um, and this chapter nine is titled How to Deal with Fear. In this chapter, Joshua explains that there are only two emotions, love and fear. So you're either <clears throat> working from this position of love where there is an absence of fear. Actually, love is the absence of fear or this stance of fear, which is you know combination of fear and love. Now, in the non-physical realm, there is no such thing as fear. So fear is a human thing. 
um, it's a component of the survival instinct, and because of that, it's useful because it keeps you from jumping off cliffs or getting eaten by lions. As we talk about fear, there are two types of fear. It's rational fear and irrational fear. Steve, do you know what the difference between rational fear and irrational fear is? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I would say rational fear is uh, keeping you alive, and uh, irrational fear is just keeping you from what you want to do. Right, so if there's no um, possibility of being killed or physical harm, then we'll call that an irrational fear, like fear of speaking or fear of, um, you know, asking someone on a date or something like that. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you never really thought of it that way before, but they're both sort of, um, you know, powerful influencers. And, you know, you deal a lot with, with rational fear because you like, you know, driving fast and riding motorcycles. Yeah, and I, and, and I used to think that I was, you know, pretty fearless until I started talking to Joshua. And he pointed out all the all the fears, the daily fears I have, you know, like, oh, am I going to be, uh, am I going to get a ticket for going too fast? Or if I'm going to, you know, at, at my job and just, I just found it everywhere. Be late for work or yeah. something like that. Or, yeah. or too early for work. Or it, it's, right. it's just, it, things had to be perfect, you know, it was weird. So. It's true. Yeah, we were talking about that before, is that you're just as afraid to be late for work as you are to be early for work. And, and then your fear of being late to work is, um, you know, people will get upset with you. And your fear of being early to work is you're going to be sitting around doing nothing. Right. Wasting my yeah. time. Yeah. So, Janine, why don't we go through the uh, quote of the week, because this has to do with fear as well. Okay, great. You have nothing to fear but your own untrained imagination, Joshua. So that's a really interesting idea. And I'm not sure exactly the context of that quote, because I I may have come from an answer to a question. I don't know if it was in the book or not. But the thing that you have to fear is your untrained imagination. And when you're running late to work, you have this fear of what could possibly happen. And it's your imagination that's causing the fear. The same thing as being early to work or any fear, your imagination is what's used to project out the outcome of what you think could go wrong. Well, that's right. You know, it's, you know, our minds run away with our, with ourselves in terms of things that we think are so important. And often, you know, often the consequences on these irrational fears are very minimal. Exactly. It's amazing how many times you worry about something and then, um, at the final end of it, there's no downside. It, it tr- all turns out perfectly. And the only problem was your worry. If you had never worried about it, you know, you would have been, felt good the whole time. Well, it's interesting, you know, in the depths of the Depression, you know, FDR in his first inaugural address said, there is nothing to fear but fear itself. Now, at that time, there were the rational fears. People really were starving in the streets. And yet he encompassed the very idea that Joshua is, you know, is uh, quoted on this week. Exactly. And I think that Joshua even took it a step further when saying the, the, the fear is um, in, of what your untrained imagination. So if you can start to control, you know, what you're thinking about, your thoughts as they come up, and this is a big theme in Joshua, 
and a lot of other teachers, is that as soon as a unpleasant thought comes up, you pivot towards a, a thought that's more uh, pleasing, that feels better. And that's what I think Josh was talking about here. Gary, I was going to mention um, the fear of being late to work. It's interesting because I was thinking about that when you first mentioned it. My fear of being late to work in my 20s is very different than my fear of being to work late now. So like, first of all, I, I used to commute from New Jersey into the city every day. Um, I couldn't control the traffic. I couldn't control the elevator operators and that type of thing. And I, I noticed the more fear I had at the other end, I might come up, up against something that was so important. I was late for a meeting versus now when I would it, it, now at this time and stage in my life, if I'm late for work, I just imagine everything's going to be perfect. I send a quick little text and I'm like, could you just make sure if anyone and everything always works out perfectly, you know? So it's yeah. just your approach to it as well. Well, now what I think is that the timing of everything is not really up to me. I, I sort of let things flow more and rely on, you know, the universe to work out the details. And so if I think I'm running late and I run up against a red light or something, I think, well, this red light is here for a purpose. And whether that's true or not, it certainly makes me feel better. And it tends to work out, as far as I can tell, that you know everything's working out fine. I feel the same way we do that in a traffic accident. We're like, oh my gosh, if I wasn't two minutes late, that could have been me. Exactly. So I feel like right. the universe is working it out. But but I'm just saying my thought process is, has changed along with it as I've matured and become a little more enlightened. Plus you have text messaging now too. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. That's true. It's easier to stay in communication if you really have to. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So uh, both types of fear are limiting. Um, rational fear limits you from doing what you want to do. So if you want to pet a lion, you know, you can't really do it. You know, the rational fear is good because it keeps you from actually going up to a lion and petting it or jumping off a cliff or something like that. But, um, and that's fine. And, you know, maybe like rational fear for Steve keeps him from going, you know, too fast around a corner or something. Um, but so Steve, when, when you're, racing your car, for instance, or your motorcycle or something, and you're trying to push the limits of your own fear, how do you overcome the fear? Um, I would say uh, baby steps. So what I do is I, I go as fast as I think I can um, for like a partic particular corner. And then uh -huh. the next time around, uh, I try to uh, go a little bit faster. And, it, and sometimes it's really interesting because I... I, it's like I have to physically force myself to push on the accelerator harder when everything in my body is is telling me not to. You know that survival instinct is very strong, and uh, so for me personally, it's it's forcing the accelerator to stay down longer that gives me that exhilaration. Because then when I go around and I survived and I stayed on, uh, the the feeling is just like euphoric. So that's kind of like the hit that I want. And, Okay. It keeps me coming back over and well, over again. That's another Joshua quote is the uh, exhilaration is the feeling of overcoming a fear. Yeah. Um, now, when is it too much, though? How do you know when to stop well, pushing it? Because uh, as it's <laughs> happened on, on several occasions, the, the car will slide out. You'll go off track. Your, your, your bike will, you know, you essentially 
I guess you could say crash, but on a racetrack, yeah. it's usually uh, not that bad because it's designed to have you go off. So right. uh, the universe steps in and just says, hey, you just went a little bit too fast there on that corner. Uh-huh. And so um, practice is sort of like what builds confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that Joshua says it in here is that confidence is the best tool to overcoming fear. And for most of us, it's, it's uh, practice. But there's certain things that's hard to practice, you know, like the first time you ask for a raise or something. So I guess, you know, maybe that is why it's for us when we're a little bit older, it's easier for us to overcome fear because we've had practice doing a lot of different things. Yes. Joshua right. says to try to do it. Uh, don't go for the big ones. Go for the, the, little, the little things first. Instead of asking for a raise, ask for a new computer or a new chair or something. Right. It's not as important. Yeah, just get the practice in. Yeah. So what are you guys well, afraid of, fearful of now, irrationally? Can I just bring up something, Gary? I was sure. thinking about this when we were talking, because I think I have a pretty good understanding of uh, the irrational fear versus the rational fear. However, I, I often wonder, with someone like my older sister, who travels the world, she, because when I was reading through that chapter, I, you know, I, I, I was very clear cut that, you know, a rational feel, of course, is for your life or if a lion was going to eat you, that type of thing. Yes. So when she, my older sister travels the world. She went um, you know, walking with the lions. And I often like I admire her because I'm like, wow, when I saw these fabulous pictures or last year, uh, the year before last, she went trekking with the gorillas in Uganda. And I see these fabulous pictures in her house with her there and not even 15 feet behind is this massive gorilla. And then I always wonder, like, how does somebody I understand how to dispel a irrational fear. But to me, that's a rational fear. <laughs> But yet she didn't have it. See, she looks forward to that in, in her, all of her trips, the adventure, because probably because it's exhilarating, you know, whether she's in safari on the front of a Jeep or whatever, she gets a definite charge out of that versus I'd have to like, I'm with Steve, I'd have to do the baby steps. And then I do, I go for it, but I do the baby steps. I practice first. So I would, really... I would take Valium. Valium? <laughs> <laughs> Valium is the tool to overcoming irrational fear. <laughs> Sure, medication. That's let medication, that. let, let a, that a bottle again. of something. Yeah, a good glass of wine. <laughs> exactly. Good. I like it. Um, but you know what? I think uh, of the analogy of the roller coaster. Is a roller coaster designed to be scary? And but what you do is you think about it. How you know? What are the odds of dying on a roller coaster? Well the group before you made it and everyone else before you made it and maybe someone over in somewhere else had an accident, but generally it's a pretty safe thing. And same thing with flying an airplane. It's the safest form of travel. So you sort of use your imagination to understand, you know, the math of, of how safe something really is. Um, we went on safari and we're, <laughs> We're going, there's a couple of funny stories, but, you know, we're going through, there's just our family on it, the six, the, uh, six of us, and the driver and a guide who's got a gun. And we stopped dead in the road, and this, these pride of lions is coming up right towards us. And they're not stopping, we're stopped in the road, and they're walking right towards us, and you're like, okay, well, pretty soon they're just going to come and eat us. There's only one rifle there, and there's like seven lions. And they just turn off and walk around. <laughs> I was like, no big deal at all. And you, the charge that you get out of that 
whether there wasn't really anything to be worried about because these lions, you know, eat pretty well and they're not going to attack humans. Um, and, you know, you think of all the people who have gone on these safaris before, it's not a big deal. But you overcome that, um, you know, fear, and there's exhilaration. And there's actually nothing you could have done anyway. You can't just jump off the, the car and run away. So you just have to stay there and let them walk right by you. But, yeah, you have to just, I think it's your imagination and understanding in the moment that everything's going to be fine, everything's working out, and, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So. Gary, you were asking about our fears. I, recent, I recently faced one of mine. Um, uh-huh. It wasn't just six months ago that I really knew at, like, at my core level, I really knew I needed to um, leave my job after being there seven years. And right. there, there was not only fear, but guilt that came in because I came off a banner year with lots of awards and being recognized in the county and, you know, everything was going, the program had never run better. But I also deep down, I just knew I needed more time um, to be a mother and, and uh, focus on our family business and, and, you know, Tim and I. Um, so I did the right, what I believed at the time, you know, it was like getting through that fear, but I went ahead and I did what I thought would be the best thing to do rather than give two months, I mean, two weeks notice. I gave a month's notice because it was, you know, a big job to fill. Uh Um, But then I I thought about it. Why was I continuing? Like I knew for probably months before that I should have, this, this part of my journey should have been done, Mm -hmm. but it was out of fear. You know what it was out of fear of, out of fear for many things. But one of the things was for health insurance. And then I got thinking about it and I talked to some of my very good friends about it. And there's like, Janine, can I just point out to you, you have never needed health insurance more than you had this job in the last seven years. then I started like evaluating how much I was really bringing home from work. Well, you know, I didn't just go with the, you know, the general medical, um, care. I went with accident policy, not one, but two, um, a cancer policy, you know, disability. I, I was like overinsured and right. I really had to face those and go, what am I doing here? What am I doing? I, I still can leave. I can, um, and I still can have insurance. I'll just figure a new way. Right. And, um, and that's a difficult, a job is a big thing to, to actually confront and, and be able to leave it. Um, especially, you know, when others are counting on you. Absolutely. So you, at that point you had to imagine a future where you'd be able to get insurance that was comparable and everything was going to work out with the job and they'd be, be fine. But I think the interesting thing there is you knew deep down inside you had to leave and it was your resistance to this knowing that you had to leave um, that made maybe made it more fearful for you or um, eventually, you know, had you just left, maybe things would have worked out just as well, but you would have been able to get out of there a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael, how about you? Um, you're a lawyer. What kind of fears do you come up across? Well, I come across fears, you know, I come across personal fears regarding, you know, regarding family finances that's uh-huh. always been a huge, big one to me. You know, in fact, as I was reading the chapter about fear, you know, it really resonated with me at a, at a number of different levels because I've had all kinds of uh, fears, some quite irrational, including fears of being homeless, including, yeah. fe- you know, uh, 
you know, that somehow I wouldn't be able to earn a living and that uh, we, you know, there would be massive and complete loss. Uh, and, you know, with this fee, you know, with the attachment to uh, belongings and although in my case, more in terms of being able to provide for my family. Uh, also fears of failure in mm-hmm. terms of uh, in terms of uh, going into court. You know, I'm a, I'm a trust in the state's an elder law attorney, but and I litigate those kind of matters as well. And I've had fears of not being able to appropriately uh, uh, represent my clients or making a mistake or overlooking things. In fact, I was in court this week on a case that has had four permutations or, you know, has been uh, uh, been litigated over the past 10 years in uh four different proceedings it's 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 uh, basically a brother and a sister who uh, who haven't liked each other since the time they were in a sandbox mm-hmm. and fighting over uh, over you know their their mother's estate and i had to go to the appellate division in other words it was an appeal uh this past week and i remember you know even though i was really confident in my um uh, in my analysis of the law, and I was really confident that uh, I was going to do well. You know, there was still that underlying fear that, boy, have I missed something? Are the judges going to point out something that I didn't, you know, that I didn't take into account? Sure. Yeah. You know, that even Absolutely. though my even though my even though my opponent, you know, uh, wouldn't have the judges on their own can bring up things. And it was in the back of my mind a little bit, but I kept on thinking about, you know, I, I, you know, I kept on thinking about my readings from Joshua and maintaining the very high vibration and, um, you know, and, and I was able to stay focused in that way, but it was still there and it was still lingering a little bit. And how did it work out? Well, I don't mean to sound like a braggart, but I do, <laughs> but I, but <laughs> But, but I, but I kicked tiny. <laughs> we want to hear that. That's right. That's you, you had the high vibration on your side. <laughs> Absolutely. But you're in a business where every single court case is about fear. All laws are created out of fear. There, you wouldn't. If there wasn't fear, you wouldn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, isn't that encouraging? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> if, if we lived in a, in a society without fear, then there'd be no need to defend yourself or to attack someone else. So thank God for fear because uh, that keeps a lot the legal system going. Well, um, we wanna, we, yes, and you know what? But even that is very trying to, uh, no pun intended, uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it is very trying in terms of uh, dealing with the individuals involved. Sure, because they're, they're not acting out of their highest, you know, level of being. They're acting out of, from a fear-based position, and so they can't even think straight most of the time. I see this a lot in, in closings. You know, people have gotten to this point where now they're ready to sell the house, now they're ready to buy the house, and at the closing, all these little complications come up. Um, I just had one on Wednesday. It was supposed to close the previous Friday, and we're sitting there at the closing, and the documents didn't come back from the people who lived in New Jersey, and I'm like, no big deal. When they, because it was a FedEx that they couldn't get there because it was a snowstorm uh, somewhere and in Philadelphia, and they couldn't get through, and so the the documents weren't going to come till Friday. 
and the title company was an open Friday. And but the buyer wanted to have the keys because he was moving in on Wednesday. And I'm like, yeah, just give him the keys and we'll close on Monday. And no big deal. We know that they sent the documents. Their FedEx has them. We see the tracking number. It'll come. It'll all be fine. And the title company's all freaked out. The other realtors all freaked out. The buyers all freaked out. And I'm like, everything's going to work out fine. Don't worry. Give them the keys. The things are going to come on Friday. We'll close on Monday. We'll be fine. You have the buyer's money. The sellers we know have signed it. It's just a document that's caught up in FedEx. And of course, after an hour and a half of this they finally gave him the keys he finally signed everything we went and of course everything came and was fine but all that drama came from the people acting out of fear had they been you know completely confident like i was that everything was going to work out they'd be relaxed and this thing could have taken place in 10 minutes and everyone could go about their day but i think that these sort of things are just have to work themselves out and people have to sort of come, overcome their fear somehow a lot of it is by just talking it out, I think. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, sometimes, as I said, there's, there's sometimes there's so many years of pathology in, in the cases that I deal with, or in the nasty cases that I deal with, I should say. Yeah. That you just can't, um, you just can't get uh, the two people into the room to really do it, it where, you know, if they just don't want to deal with each other and they're beyond that point. Right. Um, so from our perspective where we understand how fear works and that, and that uh, fear is limiting and that we can understand what people are going through and what they, they must be imagining in their own untrained mind, we have a little bit of a leverage there and, and we can sort of see from their perspective and we can understand what they're going through and try to help them resolve it on their own by sort of soothing them I think is the best thing. And we can also see from ourselves when we feel fear that we're sort of cutting ourselves off from the power of the universe. Um, and so we have to remind ourselves that everything that we're thinking is just being made up because if it's not happening in the moment, it's all happening in our imagination and we can imagine anything we want. So we might as well imagine a good outcome, like Janine said, rather than the worst possible outcome. And I try to, re I, I try to just realize that, when you're worrying, you're kind of planning for the future, and you don't really want to plan that that worry. You don't want to plant that seed. So I, I just try to keep it uh, plan something positive, like like you were saying. Yeah. Now I sort of think, and this is from my own personal experience, that worrying is a very um, a very weak tool for creating the reality of the future. The strong tool for creating the, uh, the reality of the future is fighting against something, thinking something's wrong. But I'll tell you the story. When I, was, I don't know if I've told this story before, but when I was a kid, I was in sixth grade, we had a mouse for the class, our sixth grade class, and we would take care of this mouse during the class, and then every weekend somebody would take the mouse home. So it was my weekend to take the mouse home, take it home. Within five minutes, it was out of its cage, there was blood around the cage, and my cat was looking like it ate it, you know. And I'm just freaking out from that Friday afternoon. The whole weekend, I can't believe the mouse has lasted this long. Here I get to take it, take it home, and I'm worrying like crazy. Well, Monday morning comes along. I've sort of given up. I've figured out what I'm just going to have to go back to class with this empty cage. 
And lo and behold, I find the mouse. It's in the couch. So I take the mouse. I'm so happy. I put it back in its cage. I go have breakfast. I come back. Now the mouse is dead. <laughs> and my cat's standing right over it. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? So I go, oh, my God. I thought it was going to work out. It didn't work out. Now I have to go back to school. So I'm walking to school, and I'm carrying this empty cage, and I come into class, and I go, my cat ate the mouse, and it's like, no problem, we'll get another mouse. Oh, wow. Poor <laughs> mouse. Weekend, yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody really cared. Oh, just the mouse, we'll get another one. No, no one had a problem with that at all. I, I care about the mouse, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. You're um, okay, so one of the tools to overcoming fear is a device. This is spoken about in Chapter 9 here. And for instance, if you want to jump out of an airplane but you're afraid of dying, use a device called a parachute. If you want to jump off a bridge into, you know, and you don't want to hit the river below it, you use a bungee cord. So when you can think of a device to use, and these are just mental devices that you use, they will, they will help you overcome this fear. And I think one of the easiest devices to use is just plain math. Um, you're afraid of flying? Well, don't worry. Millions of people fly every day, and the vast majority are fine. Um, you know, yellow turbulence, and everyone thinks that the terrible thought. But uh, if you can remember that most people survive it, the odds are more likely you'll be eaten by a gopher, then you should be okay. So think of things like that. Uh, well, now I'm going to have a fear. Now I'm going to have a fear of gophers, thanks to you. Well, yeah. okay. So now you can think <laughs> that it's highly unlikely for someone living in Manhattan to be have a problem with a gopher. So those of you living in maybe Kansas are in trouble here. But um, uh, there are four primary fears: the fear of failure that Michael just mentioned, the fear of rejection. And rejection really comes from um, your parents being brought up. And most parents, mine included, would, if you did well, if you did something they approved of, then they would shower you with love. But if you did something bad, then they would, in my case, get, you would, they would, you'd be hit with a belt. And that's rejection, I think, pretty much. Thank God, I don't think too many people do that anymore to their kids, but... Uh, you, so, I mean, I have a serious fear of rejection from, I think, that. Um, the other third fear is fear of loss. And if you are, have read a lot of Joshua, you know that you can't lose anything, that you are a match to that which you vibrate, you know, resonate with vibrationally. And if you lose something, it's just because you no longer vibrate to that thing. And the thing that you lose is making its way out of your existence so something new can come in. You lose a job, well, that's leading you down the path towards what you want of a new career or a new business or something like that. So loss is an illusion. There is no such thing as loss. Uh, you, if people die, you don't lose them. They're always with you. Um, and then the most irrational of all the irrational fears is the fear of change. And this is irrational because you are always changing anyway. And if you have a desire, your desire is to change. If there's something that you want that's not in your life right now, well, you need to change so that it can come into your life. And when it is in your life, your life will be changed. So you want there to be change. 
um, and the more change the better. And as other people have said, you were changing billions of times every second anyway. So don't worry about change. All fears, all of these four fears, all these irrational fears, are a result of societal influences and are not natural. In the natural world, without the influence of society, your parents, your peers, things like that, you would have no fear of failure, you would have no fear of rejection, you would have no fear of loss, and you would have no fear of change. And these fears are gradually losing their um, hold on people. And as we as a society or as a humanity move out of fear and into love, these fears will sort of fade away. And you can see now, I think, with younger generations, they are a lot more fearless, I would say. And uh, um, I, I don't know, Janine and um, you guys, with your children, do you think that they really have this fear of failure like we had? I, I, I was going to say, I have three boys, and absolutely not. They are way more fearless. And actually, for that, I'm grateful, because I feel I grew up with too much fear, and I feel like... Fear paralyzes you and stops you from being all you can be. So I've had to work on that so much. So you know what? I encourage them. And even like you said, fear of rejection, like my older boys, if they want to ask someone out on the date, go ahead. You know, yeah. really, what's the word? They could say no or I already. Um, thank you. I have a boyfriend, you know. Right. Um, so but I, I noticed they, they are they definitely um, they believe in themselves. They believe that if they put their intention to it, they can do it. Um, and I just see them as way more fearless than, than I grew up. And, and I think that's a great thing. I think we're moving in the right direction there. I mean, I think you have to have some certain fear is good, of course. <laughs> you know, and matter of fact, sometimes I do. And to be honest with you, Steve, you could probably relate to this too. Sometimes, uh, like my one son just um, celebrated his 21st birthday last week. And, and I went ahead and got him, you know, a two bedroom villa for overnight, um, down on Las Olas in Fort Lauderdale. So me being the parent, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I hope he's not going to go crazy. And how many people are going to be in the hotel rooms and they have my annex, you know, take the right. thing. But you know, he's like, chill mom, everything's fine. You know, everybody's great. And, and he, lucky for me, he does have older friends. So that was like a benefit in itself and uh -huh. everything worked out perfectly. They had a great time. You know, um, they include me in Snapchat. I could see real life things. They all called me on FaceTime and uh, they had a nice wow. second day there. Everything worked out just fine. But, yeah. um, it, you know, sometimes in it, I have to catch myself at sometimes because see my fear sometimes projects onto them. But when it, when, and that, when that does happen, they almost stop me dead in my tracks and like, we're good. No yeah. worry. You know, and then they'll follow up with a text or a picture or a video or Snapchat or something, you know, to, to, to show me everything is good and we're having a great time. You know, they all like when they FaceTime me, they're like, thank you. We're having the time of our lives, you know, kind of thing. So uh, I was just going to say that the, the kids seem fearless today, but the parents seem way more fearful. Well, <laughs> you know, though, but I, I've got teenage kids. And uh, it may be, you know, at least in terms, I think my daughter has some fears and sometimes doesn't, you know, won't try things uh, you know, because she's afraid that she'll fail Uh huh. because she's, you know, because she's and I love my daughter to death. I think she, you know, I, I think she's the second coming as mm -hmm. far as, you know, but uh, at times I think she limits herself unnecessarily because uh, she's afraid of failing. Sure. 
I could see where that happens. My oldest son is just getting ready to graduate the um, paramedic academy in uh, December. And uh, he's already gone through fire academy and, and uh, EMT. And, you know, and I know that he's got that fear about getting that job because you hear, oh, firefighters, what a great, uh, he'll be a fire medic, but what a great career yet, you know, hey, it took me three years to get a job. It took me four. And I, I told him to visualize it as you have it. So he has he does have a fear in that sense versus my 13 year old son. Um, I, he has so much confidence. I don't see too much fear in him at all. Like even he just got his report card, straight A's, straight fours. I'm like, what eighth grade boy gets like straight <laughs> fours in behavior. That's like, excellent. I'm like, right. and he's got a 4.25 weighted GP. I'm like, but he, he exudes confidence. Like you can't believe. And maybe that's what the difference is. I don't know. I don't know that I was that confident when I was younger. I think I grew confident as I, as I had life experience and got older. Yeah. Um, and so we can, we have to be there for our children and have their back as well. Um, especially in these fearful situations, like Michael saying, you know, it's almost giving her like, you know, reassuring her and giving her the confidence that she needs. Right. Well, I think that it can go both ways. You can, project your fears on your children and you can instill confidence in them as well. I guess I said both things. So yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. I <laughs> agree. Well, you guys, we could talk about this for hours. It's a fascinating topic, but let's get, get on to the question because I think the question really, even though it's extreme for this format, it speaks to what we all go through. It's universal. Um, and Michael, would you like to start off with a question? You'll be Matt. Sure. I'm, I would be happy to be Matt, at least, at least for the purposes of reading the question. Right. Dear Joshua, I would allow you to post my full name, but I suffer from social anxiety or more particularly avoidant personality disorder. I have included the DSM description here for your information. You can include it in my question if you wish or leave it out on the website. I can get out and talk to people when I have to but I am constantly focused on what the other person is thinking of me. Probably the hardest thing is being put in a situation where I don't know what is going on and have to learn something. I have a mini panic attack and blank out, appearing to be dumb, because I am so worried as being perceived as dumb by whoever is training me. So I tend to avoid things or new situations that make me look weak or foolish. I am also afraid of being exposed as a fraud. Therefore, I am less likely to go for job promotions, and my romantic life is zero for obvious reasons. I tend to stay in my comfort zone, always playing it safe. I am just, I, I'm sorry, I am just looking for practical, law of attraction-based steps to start overcoming social anxiety and avoidance personality disorder. I believe your answer would be of great help to others who stumble upon this site who are suffering from similar issues. And then he goes on to talk about the, the uh, definition of this avoidant personality disorder, which we'll skip, but that's on the website. We'll be on the website today if you want to look at it, which is the teachingsofjoshua.com. Um, okay, so that came from Matt, and let's, um, he's, awfully, you know, he's suffering with a more intense degree of what we all go through when we think about what people are thinking of us and how they'll react to us in certain situations and do we come off looking dumb or weak in certain situations and everyone gets worried about that at certain points so Steve will you go ahead and read Joshua's answer sure thing dear Matt what you have described is present 
in 100% of humans living on Earth at this moment in time. The only difference between what you are feeling and what they are feeling is the degree of intensity. There is no person alive who is not concerned to some degree about what others may be thinking about them. If you could live in the body of anyone you consider immune to this, you would quickly see that you are not so different after all. We come to share our perspective with you. We can see inside the thoughts of you and everyone else. We can feel what you are feeling and what everyone else is feeling as well. Your anxiety is so common you would be quite shocked. The only thing you need to change is your perception of reality. So that's is interesting. It's um, 100% of the population has it, which means the most confident person you know to some degree cares about what other people are thinking and worries in certain situations, even the president. And now imagine Matt, who is just going through what he's going through, but he thinks that he has this problem more so than other people, just because other people seem to be more confident or seem to have it together. But he doesn't really know what other people are thinking. And so Josh was saying, if you were in the shoes of anyone else, uh, you would see that they are not that different than you and that your specific situation is not as um, intense as you think it is. Um, so let's go on to the next paragraph. Okay. You believe that in this regard you are different than everyone else. You believe that others are naturally more secure, outgoing, and confident. You are allowing a diagnosis to support your limiting beliefs about yourself. This is quite all right, and many people live happy, contented lives within the comfort of their limiting beliefs. But if you really want more out of life, if you really want to become more confident, secure, and involved with others, then you must change your perspective on your condition. You must reduce the intensity of your limiting beliefs, which are based in irrational fear, and adopt more beneficial beliefs. So that uh, says a lot right there, that his belief system attracted this diagnosis. It yes. didn't happen the other way around, right? He wasn't diagnosed, and then he realized that he had this you know, belief system. He um, attracted a diagnosis, and I think people do that in all kinds of illnesses, that they feel this way, then they go out to figure out what they're feeling, and then some doctor or psychiatrist labels them with some condition. And you know that most, a lot of these conditions are chronic, so there's no treatment for them. So the, the labeling just reinforces the limiting belief. Okay. Gary, yeah, Gary, let me just ask you something. What do you think about, in a case like Matt's, uh, you know, aside from using devices and using other things that, you know, and of course we're going to go through uh, Joshua's, uh, you know, Joshua's full explanation, but what about uh, the use of medications, you know, to lessen, to lessen the anxiety so that he can take the, you know, to, can take the constructive steps? The medication alters his belief system. That's all it does. It doesn't do anything physically to him. It allows it, him. I'm sorry, Gary. Doesn't it say it masks the problem rather than cures it? To a some people, it could mask it, and to some people, it could it could be the tool that they use to alter their beliefs. So, if you believe totally in the doctor, and you believe that the doctor is going to cure you, then whatever the doctor does is going to alter your beliefs, and it's your beliefs that cure you, not the doctor. It, it's a device that Joshua it's refers a device. to. Yeah. And devices are fine. So if, if he believes the device, but once he says this isn't working, 
then the device is useless for him. That's how placebo effect works, right? That's um, you oh, get that's an interesting analogy. Right. That's absolutely yeah. true. Right. Right. Okay, so let's go on and see how much we can get of this question in here. Um, okay, so what's the next paragraph? If you really want to shed your insecurities, you must radically change your entire approach to life. Okay, and this is pretty much Joshua's answer to everybody. <laughs> it's yeah. <kind> of this, way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the title of the book. And uh, um, so, okay, let's go ahead and see how, how he changes, he radically changes his approach to life. Everyone has certain beliefs which are limiting. The beliefs limit their experience to life to some degree. All limiting beliefs are based in fear. All beneficial beliefs are based in love. To radically change your life, you must reduce the intensity of any limiting beliefs you hold dear and increase the intensity of the beliefs which support what you really want and who you really are. Limiting beliefs are not necessarily bad. You believe you cannot fly, and this is limiting, but it keeps you from jumping off cliffs. So the limiting beliefs that are based in rational fears can be quite beneficial. However, when a limiting belief is based in an irrational fear, the belief itself is a false belief. Let us explain this further. There, you want me to go on? Yep. There are two types of fear, rational and irrational. It is rational to be fearful of lions because you might get eaten. Your survival instinct uses rational fear to keep you alive, and we agree that this is a good thing. Irrational fears do nothing to keep you alive. The fear of speaking in public or asking someone for a date are both irrational fears. You cannot die as a result of either activity. If you have a limiting belief based in an irrational fear, you can be assured that the belief is false. It is not true. And if it isn't true, then you can release it. All limiting beliefs based in irrational fears are false. When you can show evidence the belief is false, you will automatically reduce the intensity of the limiting belief. Okay, so there is the key to reducing the intensity of limiting beliefs is proving to yourself that it's false. Use, okay, so thinking about roller coasters are dangerous. Well, the evidence shows that there, uh, the vast majority of people survive a roller coaster, and that is your evidence. Once you understand that one piece of evidence, then you reduce the intensity of the limiting belief by proving it's false. It's much like being a lawyer and presenting a case to yourself and proving that the evidence is false in that belief. And all limiting beliefs are based in false evidence. Okay, right. go on to the next one. This is a vibrational reality organized by the law of attraction. You receive a match to your vibration. Your vibrational frequency is set to a large degree by the complex mix of beliefs you hold. Your reality is created by your thoughts and beliefs are very strong thought forms. When you alter a belief, you, your reality shifts. As you reduce the intensity of limiting beliefs while increasing the intensity of beneficial beliefs, your vibration raises and your reality moves to a new place. If you want to improve the conditions of your life, do not damn the conditions, simply alter your beliefs. Great, okay. So the basis of any reality where you are insecure is tied to a belief that you personally are not worthy. This is a false belief. Every single person is equally and absolutely worthy. 
we will demonstrate the truth of this by explaining the concept of physical reality. The purpose of physical reality is to expand consciousness. Without physical reality, there is no physical experience. From the non-physical realm, you live in utter bliss, abundance, confidence, and love. Yet, because you have never experienced anything else, you cannot know what these feelings are. Until you experience lack, you cannot know abundance. Until you experience fear, you cannot know love. So physical reality was created, and experience is the purpose of this environment. You chose to come here to expand through experience. Cool. Keep going. You might now wonder if you chose to experience severe social anxiety. You did. However, you also came to experience the thrill of overcoming fear. You also came to experience joy within the physical environment. You also came to experience creation. You also came to experience growth. You may have chosen a trajectory that may have created feelings of inadequacy, yet you knew that you would climb out of it. This is the experience you came for. This is the thrill you seek. So here, when we talked about intentions, you set certain intentions before you were born, and you chose your parents, the time and date of your birth and where you were born, and from that created a trajectory to explore certain aspects of physical reality. In this case, Matt came here to explore this you know, feeling of severe social anxiety, yet he also intended to climb out of it. And the movement between being you know, totally insecure to a confident person must be incredibly exhilarating. And for him, when he can you know, move through this on his own, and you can see that he's doing this. So first, the law of attraction sets him up in this tra trajectory. Then he gets this diagnosis. Then he decides that he doesn't want this type of life. So he searches, and who does he find? Joshua. Now, that's pretty rare because, you know, compared to everything else in the world, Joshua is only known by, you know, a small percentage of society. So imagine how the law of attraction took him on this trajectory, found Joshua, and found, you know, this answer to his specific question. The, the answer that's really going to help him more than anything else will. I mean, he could have possibly gone and d done in other ways. Um, but this is an interesting uh, way that he came to, to figure it out. And if, and if he would have started off life confident and secure, that just would have been normal for him. And, his, and the thrill he's going to get is, is well worth it. I mean, in Which, hindsight, when he, gets yeah. the, when he overcomes the shyness and becomes a confident, it's, it's going to be the cr contrast that he experienced that makes it fantastic. Right. Uh, for us who, you know, I feel very confident um, and, you know, I do certain things that overcome fear, like speaking in public, like having this radio show or giving a seminar or something like that. And I always feel great afterwards. It's exhilarating every time, and that's just a minor fear. So you can imagine a major fear, and how you're, you know, the exhilaration you can get from that. Yeah, he's got he's got something to look forward to here. Yeah. Um, okay, so go to each and every person. Each and every person comes to experience a unique aspect of physical reality. You are all explorers and have explored many lifetimes in this reality. If you are exploring a very specific experience within this environment, you are a master explorer. This means that you also have the tools and experience to move through any condition. If you do not have the desire to move to something new and better, 
you would not be exploring this specific subject. You can and will move out of this condition as soon as you realize that your perspective is deceiving you. You feel strongly that you have this condition and that feeling is an illusion. Choose a new, more beneficial, more expansive perspective and choose to see you as more than you currently know. So that's also interesting there too, that if you were going through something very specific and intense, you chose it and you have the tools to come out of it and that this experience is completely an illusion. It's not true. So for Matt, for us looking at Matt, we can see that Matt is certainly intelligent. He's, um, there is nothing physically uh, that we can see that you know, would shape him into this, having this thing. And from us looking at him, and probably everyone that he knows looking at him, is something that he's... Uh, has in his mind. It's completely an illusion. We can see the illusion, but he can't see it from where he is. And that's true of anyone who's going through anything that's really intense that they feel about themselves. It's completely an illusion and you're making it up. And it's so much easier for everybody around him to see how he really is. And it's, it's the hardest for him. Well, look at Michael's daughter. Michael can see that, that his daughter is completely capable of achieving everything she wants to do. And that her fear is limiting her. And so, you know, he can help her, but, but how does she see through the illusion of, you know, her own fear? That's true. Let, let, let me just ask, let me just posit something that I had to deal with recently. I had a, a client who's uh, paranoid schizophrenic and uh, she went off her medicines and she's kind of in her own frightened world. Is she capable, without the medicines, of, of getting out of her you know, illusory, hallucinated, uh, fearful state, even though, even though you know, schizophrenia is related to genetics? Okay. Well, first of all, there is no such thing as genetics. Um, it's, you're, it's related in that way only because you pick up these beliefs that it is. Uh, secondly, that anyone can get out of anything they're, they're into if they want it enough but a lot of like like uh, we've talked about before the Siva says that people come here often for the movie for the drama and that they choose this and this schizophrenia is her comfort zone so whatever she's gone through before she's gotten this comfort zone and she feels best in it and and if we look at it and say it's wrong well there is no wrong anywhere in the universe and um we can't really help her come out of it. If she wants it bad enough, she will find a way out of it herself. She has the tools, as we've just read here, to come out of it. But she's welcome if she chooses to be stuck in that her whole life. And if the medications help, but how comes, I mean, what it, it changes how she feels when she's on the medications, and it feels not as good, usually. And so people go off these medications to get back to how they were feeling before. But her situation is so much more intense than ours is. But we're all dealing with the exact same thing, just on a different intensity level. Hmm. Yeah, okay. so that's, that's the idea behind that, is if someone's going through something that's really intense, they have the ability to get through it. They may not choose to use to get through it. They may choose to be stay where they are, and that's fine as well. Everyone, you know, and it's for us to see from our perspective, it's very hard because our perspective is so limiting because we cannot really see what they're going through because it's completely different. 
we believe that when we look at a color blue, we're all seeing the same thing, but we're all seeing something totally different. The color blue is our interpretation of that vibration. The vibration's consistent, but we're unique. So when we look at something, we see it as a mix between our vibration and that object's vibration. And everyone has a different vibration, so everyone sees everything differently. Um, and that's why we have to embrace complete, total acceptance of what anyone else wants to do. And if someone else wants to suffer through depression or migraines or um, we have a friend with migraines and we have tried so much to help her, you know, change her diet, go see somebody, you know, my, my, a good friend of my wife, and she prefers, obviously, because she doesn't do anything to get any help at all, to live in this lifestyle because the limitations of her migraines sort of allows her to live this limited, encapsulated life that feels good to her. She doesn't have to go out of her comfort zone. I hope and she nobody finds her does. way with that, Gary, because I, from someone that suffered from migraines for so long, you're giving her good sound advice, and um, I hope she finds her way. She will diet, if she wants to. Meditation. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, maybe, but if she wanted to, she would have done something, right? She would have, you know, there's a lot of things she could have done. Mm-hmm. Well, she created yeah, Actually, it goes to the old adage, of, you know, you can lead a horse to water. Exactly right. And just by us looking at her and saying, oh, her life would be so much better if she could get off these migraines and she could, you know, go out on dates and interact and come to parties and do all the things that we love to do. Well, the, the truth is that she doesn't want to do any of that. That to her, and, and she, would, she might be denying this to herself, but the truth is that she feels safe and comfortable in this life that she has. And it works fine for her. And for us to say that that's wrong is, you know, is being, you know, coming from a limited perspective as well, because our lives are so different than that. And we just want what's best for her. But she, she gets something out of the life that she's living. And every experience is absolutely valid, no matter what they're doing, even if we think it's uh, less or more than what we're doing. Okay, guys, this, we're, already come to the end of our hour it's amazing to me how fast this goes we are about halfway through the question but if you want to read the full question it's on the website as are all of our questions plus if you get on our newsletter they're emailed to you every week um this comes every saturday morning so it's quick and easy it's free sign up at uh, the teachings of joshua.com click on the newsletter link and enter your email address and it's sent to you free um I don't know if we need to do another one, but I think in the future we're going to have another episode about more about fear because this is a really interesting topic and we can keep going on and on. You guys, it's uh, been great. Oh, reading, reading, you know, just reading the your, the letter and reading the answer and reading the chapter was just so thought provoking. I think you could do multi, you know, there could be multiple uh, broadcasts just on this one topic and how yeah. Josh approaches it. I don't think we're going to run brilliant. out of topics. What's that? I don't think we're going to run out of topics. There's no, I don't so, so much in here. Yeah, it's funny. We're ready on week eight, and we just scratched the surface. Um, just what popped up on my screen now is Cheryl's two dogs, the, the girl I was talking about with the migraines. Well, there's <laughs> no timing. There. I've never seen that picture before in my life, and here it is popping up on my screen in this random picture viewer I have. That's just amazing. 
Um, all right, you guys, we got to go. We're going to uh, come to the end here, but I look forward to talking to you about another wonderful uh, topic next week. So until we speak again, everyone have a great weekend and a uh, great next week. Okay, you too, Gary. Okay, Thank bye-bye, you. all. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Teachings of Joshua Roundtable with Gary Temple Bodley. We will be back next week with another fun discussion. If you would like to ask Joshua a question or read more of Joshua's teachings, please visit us at theteachingsofjoshua.com. See you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.